Welcome to episode 279 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Jill. And I'm Ryan. And Michael's in my house. Get out. I am. Woohoo! I mean, well, you can stay. I, after, the, the show. after the recording. Aww. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. On this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be talking about an Ubuntu Remix project that is reviving the Unity desktop. Then we'll be discussing a new laptop being offered by the folks at HP. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. So this week, we want to find out what Jill's been up to. Jill, unfortunately, we've had so much fun here with Michael being at my <laughs> place. We recorded yeah. some videos from Micro Center and things. The one thing we were missing is you. And we're Aww. going to be together, though, at scale soon, which is going to be amazing. But what have you been up to <laughs> this week in Linux? Three weeks ago, here on Destination Linux, episode 276... I actually asked the community which pink case of three that I showed should I use for my next build. The results are in, and most of our viewers who responded loved the second case. Nice. And it is my favorite as well. But the most important vote was from Ryan's daughter. So this one it is. It is a beautiful <laughs> pink 60s modern looking mid-tower micro ATX case made by Goldenfield. And I love it because of how unique it is. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> a gorgeous case. And my daughter was just so like excited <laughs> that she was being mentioned directly in YouTube and all of that. So Yay. she just loved it. So thank you for allowing her to vote in that. And that's going to be an amazing absolutely. computer. So Jill, I have a question for you, though. I got the 6900 XT recently, which I'm going to be doing a video on. But I remember specifically that you mentioned there was a problem with finding a video card because all the newer ones are too big. Have you come up with a yeah. solution for that yet? Yes, I have. In fact, after lots of looking and a lot of research, I found three manufacturers with an AMD RX 6900 XT that will fit into this case. Woohoo! One is the Sapphire Toxic Radeon AMD RX 6900 XT. The other is made by PowerColor. It's the Red Devil RX 6900. And the card that you got, Ryan, comes in at just under 12 inches and will fit in this case. So that is the one I'm going to get. Nice. So we'll have the same video card. I love it. <laughs> I love this video card. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's hidden here under a box because right here, Jill, I also have my Steam Deck, which literally came right before we started the show. So we'll be bringing that to scale as well. But what's an interesting little tidbit is Michael's going to be acquiring my 6700 XT. That's and right. I was worried about putting the 6900 XT into the Leon Lee TU-150, which is mini ITX case, because I barely got the 6700 XT to fit in the case. Like, there is no space left. It was scraping against the back to get it in. But the 6900 XT actually is smaller. It's a lot less length than the 6700, yeah, but it's, but it's, it's thicker. It's It's fatter. It's interesting, yeah. right? So that made yeah. a big difference in it. So it fit very easily in a mini ITX case, which was cool. Well, I'm just so um, excited to be able to finally start playing um, uh, games in 4K, all the games on yeah. 4K on my 43-inch IPS monitor because it's begging for it. I've been wanting that ever since I've got got this uh, 4K monitor. <laughs> so. 
Well, the 6900 XT really <laughs> struggled in my first testing, Jill. I did Overwatch in Lutris and in 4K and mm. the highest settings, and I was only getting 232 frames per second. Only. So I'm uh, not only. sure <laughs> if it can handle 4K, but we'll see. We'll see. Oh, that 16 gigabytes of video memory. Ooh, sweet. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. <laughs> You could let your daughter know that's one of the things that's really cool about this case is the way the feet are, very 60s modern. Uh, the RGB is actually uh, uh, goes through the bottom of the case. So you see it wherever you set it down. On nice. The wherever you put it on the desk. It doesn't have a window so because they were trying to keep that modern look. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a very cool case, and I cannot wait to see this build in the future. Yay. Jill. All right, so this week's feedback comes from Der Hans, and you might recognize that name because he also does some amazing work sending us all of the events that we read off generally at the end of the show. I'm starting to think he's like now part of the show. Like he starts getting yes. segments. He, we mentioned him <laughs> a lot. Took over the event segment. He took over the events yep. entirely. Like pretty awesome stuff. Anyways, thank you, Der Hans, for doing that. And if you want to send in your own feedback, go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch with us or join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com and clicking on the forum link at the top of the page. But Der goes on to say, moin moin, I'm greatly disappointed. Wow. Let's Great, start man. off that way. Greatly oh. disappointed. <laughs> About what? Apparently, uh -oh. he is not happy with our impromptu birthday song for Jill. Oh. He said, <laughs> we did not use the word extreme at all in there. That's true. It is a failure. He's right. Yeah, it's a fair point. Aww. From the top. Happy <laughs> birthday, <laughs> extreme. No, next birthday, Jill, which will be a big one anyways, because it's going to be your 21st birthday. We're going oh. to throw extreme in there because it will be more fitting for that birthday. Uh, okay. He's right. Look, sometimes we mess up. Clearly, this is yeah. the time and we we're, mess up. We're okay with admitting <laughs> when we make mistakes. Yes. We'll fix it Happy next birthday. Happy birthday, extreme. <laughs> there you go. And you I it. did. Thank you, dear Hans. And I I did have a, a wonderful birthday, he, spending it here on Destination Linux, and then after that, going to Disneyland. That's awesome. So, nice. It was a great day. <laughs> well, Dirk goes on to talk about from Jill's birthday to Doomsday. So for the Doomsday command <laughs> segment, uh, yes, I didn't hear a mention of commands needing to be run from root shell of via sudo, like rm-r, attack r, is quite destructive to the home directory, even if it won't wipe the machine. DD if dev random and then the of dev SDA should fail due to lack of permissions from a user account, presuming they hadn't previously used the recursive chmod777 you mentioned. Well, see, I feel like... Yeah, ch mod. I feel like you're giving them the ability to break their computer by us reading yeah, this Yeah, giving more details. Yeah. Although it is a good point about the RMRF. <laughs> if you apply yeah. it to not slash, it would still delete stuff. And it's only detecting mm -hmm. the slash part. Yeah. So basically, if you're new to Linux and you see someone say RM anything, after that, ignore it and don't do it. Yeah. He goes on to say, I've done the DD over dev SDA thing. I think a lot of people have, but only wiped out the mm -hmm. boot record and was able to recover before rebooting. Also, people should not wget or curl and pipe to shell, period. Projects that recommended are really showing a disregard for even basic security. I agree. Finally, those of us who have random quotes in our signatures do look at our SIGs when we send email. Fake news, Dur, because this prank was pulled and the people who had those little quotes in their signature did mm -hmm. not look at them. But you might, but they didn't. So there you go. I yeah. never look at my signature Aww. because I never have one. Yeah. 
I yeah, just if here. I see a signature on my email, <laughs> I know something has happened. Well, let me ask you this though: How many times have you found inspiration from somebody's inspirational quote in their signature? Never. Exactly. Most of the time, the <laughs> signature is a lot. Of course. Of course. I she love does. it when people do that. Like wherever you go, there you are. You know. Oh. Well, <laughs> classic. Most of the time, my email client doesn't even show the signatures. <laughs> yeah. So I don't even see them. Uh, but yeah, I've now decided. You know, to kind of be more like Jill, I'm going to change my, I'm going to add a signature. Yeah. And it's going to say, you know how there's like, thanks or regards and then Michael, it's going to say XOXO, kisses and hugs. No. I'll miss you. We'll never get Michael. another business deal again if you start saying, <laughs> you imagine like going to DigitalOcean, like, hey, we want to talk to you about some business dealings, yeah. XOXO, XO, Michael. Like, really? No, no, you're not. You're banned from doing that. That's right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Durhans goes on to say, enjoyed the episode as usual, and happy belated birthday to extreme Aww. birthday to Jill. Uh, ciao, Durhans. So very nice email there. Thank you for sending in all the events every week. That saves us so much time. Yeah, Hans. And you sent an awesome email. So thank you very much. And Michael and Ryan, you're going to get to meet him at scale. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I can't looking wait. Looking forward to it. If you're looking for an extremely good deal, check out <laughs> Destination Linux sponsor, DigitalOcean, because this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but setting up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Did you know there's literally tons of tutorials? Did we do the math finally and figure out that they're... No, I'm just saying it again. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes, tons. Well, it's over 2,000 for sure. I, t I counted wow. that part. I mean, if anybody actually has tutorials that would weigh a literal ton, it would be DigitalOcean. It would be DigitalOcean, yes. absolutely. And you can get support at DigitalOcean for the, every stage of growth, whether you have a team of one person or a team of 1,000 people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because you're going to get a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. Again, that's do.co slash tux2022. So go get your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform when you, by going to do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Just a couple of weeks ago, we covered the release of Ubuntu 22.04 LTS, where we took a look at Ubuntu's main edition and all of the flavors. This week, we want to take a look at one of the remixes for Ubuntu because it has been doing something very interesting, lots of things, but specifically, they're bringing back the Unity desktop. For many years, Ubuntu was known for the Unity desktop. You'd see it very often as part of like a Linux in the wild sort of thing because it was very recognizable. And in 2017, Canonical decided to stop working on the project for the desktop. Some people were in favor of this decision, and others were disappointed to see it going away because they liked Unity. Now, there is the Ubuntu Unity Rebix now, and that's what we're going to be talking about it. And we have discussed this project before, but recently they announced a new beta version that they have they've released. And this is Unity 7.6 Beta. And we all gave it a spin to see what was new. And if you're new to the Linux ecosystem, 
wow, it's been almost five years That's since sad. they got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. So wow, you might not have even heard of it if you're new, if you're that new. So if you haven't, there's a lot of interesting stuff related to Unity. So we're going to talk about it in kind of like a broad scope. So we're going to take a look at Unity in the Unity of yesteryear. I just like that word, yesteryear. Yeah, that's a good word. That's an yeah. expensive Perfect. word. It is an expensive word. Yeah. And the return of Unity with our testing for the 7.6 beta. I think it's important before we get started, though, because me and you have been talking, obviously, because you're here this week, we were talking about this episode, and you were spouting all kinds of um, Zork facts about <laughs> Unity. <laughs> yes. And so I, I I thought they were fascinating, though. It was really interesting, because when I came into Linux, Unity was just at the verge of going out the door. It was five years ago. So right. I, I mm -hmm. Unity was there, but it was on its way out, and they were killing the project. But there's a lot of history there before I ever got involved. So maybe we could give, I don't know, spout some of those Zork facts you have about Unity's history before we sure. get into talking about our impressions. Okay. Picture this. The year was 2010. Before the TikTok app existed, <gasps> the TikTok song by Kesha was topping the charts. And that was the same year that we all learned how to train our dragons. Wow. And... <laughs> was the first version of Unity coming out in Ubuntu Netbook Edition. It wasn't even available on the regular desktop yeah. versions, but it was on the Netbook. And then the next release, I just wanted to put the How to Train Your Dragon thing. I can't believe you were spouting. Are those all real facts? They're of all that real. Because that's not it's in the It's not notes. in the notes. It's real. You just randomly. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. All right. Go you. <laughs> so, so they put it on the Netbook Edition in 2010, uh -huh. and then they released it in the 1104 version. And that version was buggy. Let's just say that. But only in like a year, 1204 was a solid option of Unity. There's actually one of my favorite versions of Unity that was ever made was in 1204, but not the one that most people use. There was two versions. There was the GTK version and the Qt version. And I wasn't even a fan of KDE Plasma at the time. I just liked the Qt version because it was way better. Were you a GNOME user then? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was. So this is before GNOME 3 even existed, really, because they came around the same time, Unity and GNOME 3. All right. But when I switched to using Unity, I started using the cute version of Unity, and it was fantastic, way better. But they called it 3D versus 2D, and the cute version mm -hmm. was 2D, so people didn't want to use it because it seemed like it was worse, because they named it so terribly. Yeah. But... Unity as a desktop was so beyond like what the other desktops were at the time. Yeah. So multi-monitor support was good. The mm -hmm. ability to do high DPI years before anyone Think else. Think about that for a moment. Multi-monitor support was good five years ago, four years ago when that version came out maybe. And we still have Seven desktop environments struggling with multi-monitor support today. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying like 2016. Was when it, 16, it was solid. Yeah. Actually, 2014 was probably wow. a solid version too with the multi monitor and the high DPI. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I used it on my Asus EPC and it ran beautifully and I even hooked up an external monitor <laughs> to it and it worked. That was yeah, awesome. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I saw people testing Unity with like six different monitors and it was fine. Yeah. So, like, they were <laughs> way, ahead, way ahead of the time. Yeah. So, Unity is a really good desktop and I was disappointed. I was one of those that was disappointed that it was going away because it was very mm -hmm. powerful and it had a lot of cool ideas. So there was multiple different features that made Unity interesting. 
And some of those were copied in other desktops, like Mate took some, uh, KDE took some, but not all of them were copied. And one of the most important features we'll talk about later in the segment when we get to kind of breaking down Unity, there was one feature called the HUD, and it is by far my favorite feature of Unity at the time. And pretty much mm -hmm. still, I guess, yeah. when I was playing with the 7.6, we'll get to that in a second, but I was really happy to see the HUD in its full functionality of being there because it was terribly named, but a great feature. <laughs> it's not a heads-up display So anyway. terribly named, by the way, that I had no idea what you were talking about when we were playing with Unity. Right. And you're like, hey, have you ever tried the HUD? And the answer was no. Right. And then when you showed it to me, I'm like, why is this not a thing? This is pretty awesome. It, mm -hmm. It's really, mm -hmm. really cool. Like, but in, mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note, when I got into Linux and it, Unity was going out, I didn't get to play with Unity and all of its features. I was just learning Linux. I didn't even know the difference between a distro and a desktop environment. I thought it was all mm -hmm. one thing. So to yeah. me, it was just like, this is the Linux experience back then. Uh, and then Unity went away. And I remember the comment section, I've mentioned this before, just being full of people like, oh, get rid of Unity. Unity's terrible. Unity's horrible. Switch to this. Along with the comments of, get rid of Ubuntu. Switch to this. Switch to that. Because, yep. like, you know, those people, when they found my videos, were very uh, passionate about not liking certain things. And I noticed someone in chat mentioned the Amazon fiasco during that time. And that was kind of the death row of Unity, yeah. potentially. <laughs> and I know that I, mean, I know that there's a lot more to that that we could break down. Probably not worth going into too much, but the Amazon thing did, whether it was interpreted correctly or incorrectly, did seem to cause a lot of people being upset. Because I remember specifically people mentioning that to yes. me about that Amazon icon that was like in the in the toolbar. I think. Oh, it was worse before that. Yeah. So yeah. the Amazon thing was misunderstood. However, to say that Canonical made a mistake by doing it is 100% right. Yeah. Because what they were doing was not just that they had an icon there, because that was the time you started. They, yeah. That's what they had. But in tw 2012, like 1210 version, it was built into the dash searches. Ew. So you would search for something, and Amazon ads would show up next to your oh, application. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. No. It was, it was a mistake. Oh, wow. So okay. I didn't that, know that. that's really what infuriated people. They were People were misunderstanding that this was somehow Amazon tracking them. But it wasn't doing that. It was going to a mm -hmm. buffer server sort of thing. So they were just pulling it from that buffer server into your computer. So there was some data that uh, Amazon could get from that buffer server, but it's not going to be tracking you specifically. However, that, that sounds horrific. Yes. Yeah. But however, <laughs> having that, that stuff in your dash results is a terrible idea. One of the worst canonicals ever had. And so understandably, people were annoyed by that. And it made me stay on 1204 because it didn't have it. Interesting. And for like a year. And I actually regret something. In 1204, I mentioned to one of the developers of Canonical that I love this one feature that was in the HUD. Mm -hmm. And the next time I tried it, it was gone. Oh, because you mentioned it. Because I maybe. Yeah, they were like, oh, if Michael likes it, get rid of it. Well, one of the developers <laughs> was like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> but there, there are some great things about Unity. That Amazon thing was totally. one of the worst. Yeah. And there were some other <laughs> mistakes they made. Yeah. But for the majority of it, Unity as a desktop environment is solid. Yeah. When I think about my first reaction when I went back into Unity this week, it was, for me, nostalgia overload. 
This is one of the first desktops I ever used again in Linux. So that right there kind of makes it special. I remember really liking it back then and I still love the look of it today. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's telling. If you think about the fact that there are a lot of DEs out there that do not look modern, that are still maintained uh, very heavily, and then you look at Unity, and yes, it's being maintained by an outside crew. They're doing a fantastic job, but even just the design and layout of everything as is, is just it's modern. It's kept up it's with really the nice. times. I could use it today easily and not be like, oh... Now that we're five years in the future, desktops have moved to this type of model or design or flow that makes way more sense than what it did back then. It's not that way at all. It still doesn't show its age in any facet. And I think that's pretty amazing from your initial look around and going through things. The menu in Unity is so well done. The launcher to me has just the absolute beautiful navigation with you open it up, you've got your applications there on home, but then you've got these little icons that make sense for applications, files, media, music, photos, anybody, new user, experienced user can easily know which one to click on to get to the stuff that they need. It's not overly done. It's not overly crowded. It's very well spaced out. It's just very user-friendly, gorgeous. Like, I don't know. I really kind of felt myself wanting to use unity again when i was playing with it it was good and you also could activate a right sidebar showed all the categories like a normal desktop would have yep like with kde and stuff like that and unity was a very nice looking thing and like you're talking about it still looks good now yeah especially with the 7.6 we tried out but the mm -hmm. regular version of unity even like the old hasn't been even touched for years that one still looks pretty good for even current modern designs. Yeah. And like earlier I was talking about how the finding Linux out in the wild was a lot. Most of the time, like 90% of the time I saw those posts on Reddit or wherever were unity based because there's, it's so distinctive and recognizable from the distance mm -hmm. and it was unique, but it also felt modern and it was just nice. One of the things that I was a big fan about unity was its screen real estate. It managed screen real mm -hmm. estate so well. It didn't waste space. Like a lot of people would be like, well, you have a title bar and a panel and you can't ever hide that panel. Well, the title bar goes into the panel and disappears. Yeah. Saving space. And it was just really nice to basically eliminate the menu bar and the title bar all at the same time. So you still get the system tray and everything else at the same time without Actually, instead of losing space, you would gain space based on that design. Right. So it was a really good desktop. So Jill, yeah. what did you think about Unity in terms of like your previous usage and also trying it out in the latest remix? You know, this this controversial desktop manager, you know, that was created by Canonical to replace GNOME 2. I started in Linux so many years ago that this was the new upstart. <laughs> upstart desktop. Right. It... I liked it initially. It's it was, it's very beautiful. My biggest complaint, and a lot of people's complaint at the time, and one of the reason I think it didn't do too well for a very long time was it's it was very sluggish and it was slow at at when you you click the buttons and the menus. It was you know slow, especially on older hardware. Right. <laughs> it was very unless heavyweight. you use the two D version, which was cute, which based, was cute, and it was based. super fast and low and resources. That's the one yeah, that's what I. Why did you call it two time. So that's that's why. So like you were saying earlier, so so many people would go to the three D version. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it's so weird. They were pushing towards the It was the very annoying. Line. Yeah. Yeah. And I would tell everyone too, no, no, go to the, the 2D, go to 2D, go to 2D. <laughs> that was definitely a thing. Uh, but, I, you know, my first reaction to running Ubuntu 22.04 LTS Jammy Jellyfish was I absolutely love the colors and theming. Lots of pink, 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 pink. <laughs> Lots of purple and magenta. Well, but that I've makes always... one of us that like yes. the theming. <laughs> I mean, it was nice. It, it was, was all right. It was, it was right. better than the <laughs> purple, very orange, purple. purple. Very it was purple. very purple. Well, yeah. I've always actually loved the theming on Unity, even from the, the get-go 11 years ago. It, I always thought it was a beautiful desktop, very polished. You know, they brought so many progressive features to the desktop you know, uh, mentioning, uh, Michael was mentioning the the HUD earlier and the Dash search. That was so ahead of its time. But a lot of people were like, well, that's not like a traditional menu. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you had the yeah. other option, too, with the global menu. Yeah. Let's, let's talk yeah. about favorite features. So, okay. Um, Ryan, you are the most new for the Unity. So yeah. I'm sure you have some interesting takes on this. So let's start off. Since you didn't really have that much of a time to use Unity in the uh, past. I went from Unity to XFCE basically immediately, mm. you know, once Unity mm -hmm. died. Right. Yeah. So now we got that context. What did you think about Unity in terms of using the latest version with the remix? And what were your favorite features? I mean, first of all, what was fascinating to me is that it has an app indication out of the box. There mm. are mm -hmm. desktops today... No, Gnome, <laughs> that don't have app indicators. And yet five years ago, we have a desktop that has app indicators. So I actually tested this with Telegram and some other things that need mm -hmm. to run in there, like Mega, Telegram, Steam, all of these apps that run and need this app indicator out there and was fascinated that it was right there just as I needed it from a desktop environment five years ago. That's crazy. Amazing. Having support for things that people want and need. Yeah, so Who that was nice that? to see. Um, I love the look of the desktop, the Unity menu I mentioned. I, I want to move it to the bottom immediately. And what's mm -hmm. kind of funny is I couldn't remember how you move it to the bottom. So I had to look up online and solve the little terminal command that it's like G set yeah. and set, That's right. you know, yeah. the launcher position at the bottom. And I ran that and then the menu went to the bottom and I was happy because I always did that in Unity for the little time I was with it. I don't like a left side menu. I know a lot of people like it. It's not my thing. Uh, so I moved it to the bottom and it worked perfectly. I, the other things that are amazing is again, using it today, and I know that they've continued to build upon it, but the window snapping, the workspaces, the panel customization, the Unity tweak tool, all of this stuff mm. to me is like next level awesome and allowed me to do anything I want. If I want to, uh, with the workspaces, click them and it had little icons to show me what was in each workspace. Mm -hmm. And then when I opened it up, I could also see a bigger picture of what was in there. So I knew which workspace I wanted to jump to. Window snapping and tiling worked out of the box with the key bindings that make sense for people who use tiling. So it wasn't like some new made up key binding that nobody's heard of before. I just really liked all that stuff. I, I agree with most of those things. They even have a cool thing about you hold down the super key and all the shortcuts pop up in a window yeah. showing you everything. Yeah. Really neat. Really well really done. Nice. Uh, the workspace switcher, like I, I mentioned, I, I really loved that. I loved how it worked. And it's very intuitive. For this day, I would say it was like a 
really awesome implementation of workspaces that I would like to see in other desktop environments. Yep. I mean, yeah. I basically move the Unity workflow and the GNOME workflow and combine it together into my Plasma. So my Plasma looks nothing like m most Plasmas look like. Yeah. So I, I, you were talking about you don't like the launcher on the left and you want it on the bottom. And a lot of people did want that because it's like, it kind of gives you a Windows 7 feel. And I was one of the few people who enjoyed it being on the left. So there you go. I was like, I was like Ryan, the bottom and the, or the, sometimes the top of the screen. You remember for, for yep. ages, us, us from Unix would always run our panel yep. from the top. <laughs> or the GNOME 2 option where you had both. Yeah, GNOME 2, yep. yeah. <laughs> so Jill, what did you think about the experience and what is your favorite feature for Unity in general, but also what did you like about the 7.6 beta of the new version? I love that the Unity Dash and HUD had actually been completely redesigned and, and are much more modern and slick looking. Yeah, the new HUD looks great. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really, really sweet. And just the use of colors with the theming and the icons, it's just so clean but minimal. And I yeah. love that. <laughs> and yeah, as we said earlier, the HUD and Dash search were so progressive when Unity was first released. And actually reinvented the way we use traditional menus. So, so many people complained about not having a tr traditional menu, but then with Unity, they kind of learned to, to like searching for programs. <laughs> so that was definitely a thing. And for me, I, I loved it from the get-go because it was something different and unique. Yeah. And I, I had I go, this is going to be important in the future. And indeed it is. The uh, features of it are in Ubuntu uh, Budgie, the Budgie desktop, and the new GNOME. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, features from Unity have made it to other desktops. And one of the big things I noticed was how much more memory efficient Ubuntu Unity is now and that the desktop just feels so much quicker and snappier. And again, like I said earlier, that was one of the big complaints when Unity first came out because it was a little sluggish, but it got better and better. And unfortunately, Canonical moved away from Unity right when it was you know, <laughs> really fast and zippy and, and even on 3D, <laughs> not just 2D. Yep. <laughs> So that was uh, that's been really cool, and actually the RAM usage in Unity Seven um, has been reduced substantially to around seven hundred to eight hundred megabytes, and Bloat. in the new so Ubuntu, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they they increased it even better in Unity Seven Point Six, which will, will be in the in the next release of Ubuntu Unity. Yeah. So those are some of my favorite features. Those are great observations. I love that yeah. you took a look at the resource usage of it because I didn't think to look at yeah, that. Yeah, neither. Because I'm spoiled with my computers. I don't look at resource usage. But I like that because a lot of people, that's very important to them. And you're right. That was sluggish back in the day. And now it's much, much faster. They've done an amazing job with that. Let's do like a quick breakdown of your experiences. So would you use Unity in this remix style? you like Unity in that sense? If I was going to use Ubuntu, I would use this DE for sure. Mm -hmm. But I really would like to see this desktop with something like Fedora. 
Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I think that is, it's kind of like the same yeah. thing we said with Budgie. Like <laughs> Budgie is so gorgeous and next level in so many ways, but I want to see it in Fedora. Right. And I want to yeah. see this in Fedora or other distros. I don't like that An some arch. of these things are kind of, yeah. yeah, Arch are locked to, you know, Ubuntu based distros. It's fine, but I would like to see them elsewhere. I would yeah. also like to see things like combining the Unity tweak into settings and not having separate tools to change things. Uh, appearance and display, for instance, was very confusing to me because appearance has a monitor icon, but you can't change resolution. So you got to go find another icon that's display. So there are some things that are outdated in its setup. Another one would be like the files icon is like a CD or a DVD icon. Like I'm like, right, that does not speak <laughs> not file all. manager to me at all. Like there's nothing about that that says file manager. So I would like to see little things like that tweaked. But overall, I am so appreciative of this team for keeping Unity alive so that we could do conversations like this. I think Unity is ahead of its time. It still feels ahead of its time in many regards in its workflow, its cleanliness, and just its overall production is above in some ways. It's not production, but it's smoothness, it's finesse is above a lot of DEs we have today. Yeah. That are more popular, obviously, because they come with the distros and things as they launch. But the polish, yeah, that's that's the yeah, word. The, the polish. polish in Unity is still better today than a lot of DEs that get bundled with distros as their default. Yeah, the issue with Unity on other mm -hmm. distros was that it was not designed to be and it was very difficult to port to other distros. And that was the shame because a lot of people wanted to have Unity on their particular distro. Like, I agree, I would love to have it on Fedora or Arch. And it sort of was on Arch for a little bit, but it wasn't reliable. And it I'm you know. sure somebody in Arch is hacked to make it work, <laughs> but it's not like some default thing you right. can choose. Yeah. So, Jill, yeah. What, would you, what did you think of the experience? And... I assume you're already using it again on a computer now. <laughs> one of one, yeah, one of 300 computers you use. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'm thinking of uh, putting it on the new computer I'm building for my desktop. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, just to 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 live the Unity desktop once again, you know, in production. That would be really cool. And cool. Uh, yeah, there's something else that's important about Unity is that because of Canonical moving to Unity, we got Ubuntu Mate and, a, and uh, we got Mate Desktop in Cinnamon. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so for those who didn't care for Unity, there were a lot of desktops that came out of this transition <laughs> that were created. But to be clear and be fair to Canonical and Unity, I don't think it was mm -hmm. Unity that they people had a problem with. It was GNOME. Because GNOME 3... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Let's just put it out there. <laughs> GNOME 3's first few versions were unusable. Yeah. They yeah. were broken. And it's not even like, oh, it's not a preference thing. I mean, you could not use <laughs> it. It made Linus Torvalds go on a rant about how much he hated GNOME 3 because they made it unusable. And he just sits mm -hmm. in a terminal all day. <laughs> like, how do you <laughs> mess that up? So people were making those forks of of GNOME. Yeah, with Like GNOME Mate 3. was the fork of GNOME 2. Yeah. yeah. And then Cinnamon of GNOME 3. So there was... Yeah. Mostly those things, but I, I saw these complaints uh, years later that made me laugh about like, why did Canonical make their own Unity desktop? They could have used Cinnamon or Mate or yeah, Insert true. whatever. And my, my first reaction was just laughter because they didn't exist when Unity was created. Like, yeah. that's why they didn't use them because they didn't exist. 
<laughs> well, this is a yeah. situation where the community really got this wrong. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the comments and things when I first joined in of people hating on Unity, hating on Unity was everywhere when I joined in Linux. And I, I saw mm-hmm. it in posts and forums not, and people leaving comments when I would do a video with it. And there was this extreme community dislike for Unity. And I think a lot of it had to do with the Amazon things and other stuff they didn't let go. But the community was wrong in this aspect of beating on it so much because I think we lost a really good desktop environment because yep. there was no winning at that point. I'm not saying Canonical doesn't hold a big piece of that with that Amazon disaster you described makes a lot of sense why people were mad. Yeah. But we kind of, that one thing ruined an entire desktop environment that I think is yeah. absolutely spectacular. It is a spectacular desktop environment that thankfully it's being held together today. Some people are working on it from the community, but essentially it's kind of gone. It is kind of gone. You know, yeah. I would even say that it's potentially still kind of gone because the newest version I don't think is Wayland compatible. So eventually this mm-hmm. wouldn't work either. So they're making like Unity X and then there's the Lomiri efforts to make it on Wayland and stuff like that. Yeah. So there's effort to keep the Unity feel around. But I think the actual desktop that we've used and we know about and people who've used over the years and loved it, it's not going to be around for a while. Yeah. So this... Well, not much longer, I guess. I don't know how much longer, but depends on how soon Wayland becomes the main protocol. And if the Unity Remix team can do a migration to Wayland. So if they can... They're pretty darn talented. I bet they'll figure it out. But there's there's a lot of great stuff in Unity. And I think that your point about the community's reaction to it was really the biggest factor of why it went away. Because it was successful in Ubuntu. But there was a lot of understandably the annoying thing of the Amazon, sure, whatever. But there are some other aspects of it wasn't really unity that people hated. It was canonical. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's a shame. And I wish the, as soon as they had killed unity, people would have like adopted it and said, Hey, let's just make it a community desktop and then it would have probably been like they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. They threw the desktop oh, out yeah. with the bathwater. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. That's what happened. And you know, this version of when I was playing around with it, I was remembering Unity uh, plays games faster. It 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 actually does mm. really well with the frames per second. I always used to get like five to ten FPS more using Unity. Now you have my attention, Jill. I yeah. <laughs> really need to check out that gaming aspect on it. So, Jill, what were your final thoughts or conclusion on your experience with Unity this week? Well, as I said, you know, it's it's used in so many uh, modern desktops elements of it. I mean, l- look at the new GNOME. <laughs> it's just, it's the, the search features and, and kind of their version of the HUD. It's contributed to so many good desktop innovations and not to mention it popularized the use of the super key on linux yeah. you remember a lot of people what's the super key and <laughs> until they found unity and then that you know said instead of the windows key you hit you hit you <laughs> that's the windows key is the super key unless you're like me and put the text penguin on all my keyboards on yeah the i was gonna key. say joe i have no idea what you're talking about when you keep mentioning the windows key what is yep. that i don't yeah. know never don't heard know. of that yeah <laughs> But it's super key. Yeah, yes. all the time. Super key. Yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting, just a random side note based on that super key thing. There's a keyboard shortcut that is like universal now of opening your terminal with control alt T 
And that yeah, true. started in yeah. Unity. Hmm. And now people get yeah. mad when you don't have that shortcut Control in a distro. Yeah. I know. That's a, <laughs> but overall, I just, I just love the look and feel of Unity. It's just snappy, quick. The theming's beautiful. Uh, I'm just happy they stuck with pink and magenta, too. <laughs> but of course, you can change that. But... It looks good. You know, Might not be your color. Looks right. pretty. Yeah. What are those They're not yeah. my colors. But listen, uh, they're extremely talented, and I'm so happy this distro is still this desktop environment, I should say, is still around. So, Michael, we didn't really get to hear your first reaction, favorite feature, conclusion. So, yeah. I mean, in a lot of detail. So, kind of mm. give us your rundown. What's your favorite? What's your first reaction when you opened it up? It was the kind of like yours about nostalgia. Yeah. I was really happy to see it, and. It looked like it was cleaned up a little bit, even before I switched to the beta. And then when I switched to the beta, I saw like it looked more modern and it did look better. Yeah. So 100%. I, I also felt like the older version of Unity was like, you know, set in a specific time. So as a designer, I'm keeping up with design trends and all that stuff every year and every month, really. And it did feel a little dated when I got the first version. But when I got the beta version much better and i liked it a lot so i am tempted to use the ubuntu unity remix just at least as a secondary Somewhere, yeah just to play somewhere. with it yeah yeah because it is it is cool and i did like the unity desktop and i used it for a long time like i was a gnome user and then before plasma or switching to plasma i was using unity for multiple years and it was good. I mean, I stayed on the 1204 version that didn't have the Amazon. So you're and getting rid to, of KDE and you're going to Unity. I'm going to add Unity in addition to my GNOME and KDE Plasma setups. Oh, okay, all right. All so right. I'm going to keep the stuff that I already have. I'm just <laughs> awesome. going to add to it. I'm going to I'm going to pull a Jill and get another computer. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Yeah. Put it on there. Right. That's the way but, to do it. But I want to give it like we talk about the favorite features and stuff. And there's two features that are, we talked about the HUD, but we have not described exactly what it is. And it's really hard to describe it and fully grasp it. You need to see it. Now, if you want to check out a video on my, my channel, on the new Tenel Visions channel. I like the name. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's a <laughs> video I made about why Ubuntu should use KDE Plasma instead of GNOME when they got rid of Unity. However, in that video... I talk about all the cool features that are in Unity and how you can do them in Plasma. And I just I demonstrate how the HUD works and what it is and sort of stuff. So you can check it out, the full breakdown and visuals there. But a verbal description of it, you know how you have the file edit, you know, it's tools, help, etc. in a window at the top of the main menu. This is a menu that is accessible to the system in other ways. And the HUD is making it available inside of your dash slash launcher function. So you would hit alt and then you could just start typing things that are related to your application. For example, if you're using a spreadsheet inside of LibreOffice, you could hit alt, type in format, and it would give you the options to format cells and change the text of stuff, like all sorts of stuff, just break down. You don't even have to know where the stuff is. You just know what it's called. So with people who were using Inkscape and having all the plugins that you could just type in and not even know where it was. Now, that's kind of a backfire too because I was using some applications that I didn't know where these features were yeah. because they were in Unity's HUD Aww. so easily. And 
it was just a fantastic feature. Now, yeah. like we said earlier, I just got to reiterate, it is not in any way a heads up display. I don't know why you called it a HUD. It yeah. made no sense, but it was a fantastic feature. Yeah. The other thing is the global menu slash locally integrated menus. Now, the locally integrated menus or LIMS were not really around the whole time of Unity. They were only like the last couple of releases. But what it did is that people didn't like the menu being taken from the window and put into the global menu top panel. I enjoyed it, but most people didn't. So they did a compromise where they put it in the limb style where you'd hover the title bar next to the top left and the menu would just show when you hovered. Compromise? That's, yeah. That's a thing? Exactly. Hmm. And it worked better and I enjoyed it because when you didn't have the global menu or if, if you didn't have an application maximized, it was annoying to have the global menu because your menus would be super far away from your right. window. Yeah. So having the locally integrated stuff was much nicer. And that combination was a really good experience. And I just remembered another reason why people didn't like the Unity experience. And it's kind of funny. It's because the maximize, minimize clothes were on the left side of the window. Oh, I remember Not on that. the right yeah, side. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. That, there was a lot of hate on such a ridiculous thing. I don't know, right? Yeah. So. No, it you, made you sense. It. The reason they did it made sense because they maximized oh, it. Yeah. And then they... That means that the system tray on the right side wasn't being interfered and you have the close buttons in the global in the global menu too. So it did make sense and it saved space and it's not well, pe that big a deal. People are used to, you know, when things become like standard, a place for things, it's hard for them to adjust to that. But sure, there were always sure. workarounds because I remember there was a workaround to get the maximize, minimize on the other side if you yeah, wanted to. Yeah, you could switch it if you wanted to. Which is very nice. So I, to me, it reminded me a lot of like GNOME, but if GNOME had a lot more settings and customization. Like if you took GNOME and you combined it with XFCE, where you got that simplistic, beautiful nature that GNOME has when you first get into it. Yep. But inside Unity, there's a bunch of settings to tweak things to make it your own, a lot of settings to tweak and make things your own. And so in that aspect, it was like the best of GNOME and the best of XFCE for me. Mm -hmm. I agree. Very it was a nice yeah. uh, combo of being compatible with the user who wants just the out-of-the-box experience, but also compatible with the person who is a power user and wants to change all sorts of things. Right. Now, some things you couldn't do, like you could switch on the left right, left side and the right side, but the bottom was kind of hide, hidden, hidden more. Hiding. Hiding. Quit hiding, <laughs> menu. Hiding. Why, <laughs> Why are you hiding so much, menu? All right, so it was hidden to change that. And I remember making a video about mm -hmm. like, this big news that you can now put it on the bottom of your screen. And now retrospectively, I think about like, that's kind of funny. I made a video just because of that, yeah. but it was still a really important thing that people wanted. So mm. I think go. that there's such a great balance of having the control of power user stuff while also having the out of the box, because the way I look yeah. at plasma, the out of the box experience needs some work. But control and features and functions, Plasma is unmatched. And with GNOME, the out-of-the-box experience is kind of unmatched. Yeah. It's really nice looking, but when you get it to the features and functions, it's almost nothing. Yeah. So it depends on what you want, and Unity kind of had a nice balance of both. Yep, I agree. I agree. 
Well, that's it. Now you guys need to go out <laughs> yourselves and do the same test that Jill, Michael, and I did and check this out and let us know what you think, either on our forums or send us an email. Tell us about your experience in history. And the first thing you need to do after you've installed Unity is install Bitwarden because you're going to want to get your apps going. You're going to want to log into <laughs> your apps. You want to get into YouTube, maybe. You want to get into Twitch. You want to get into all this stuff. And you're going to need your passwords there. And the best thing is you can put Bitwarden on everything. Thing, your mobile devices, your computers, head to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. Bitwarden is a password manager and software that allows you peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. It provides you all the tools you need to securely store your passwords, auto-generate those passwords, even automatically fill in the forms for you. You can access your data, like I mentioned, across a multitude of devices. So if you want to install Ubuntu in a VM, you can go in there and you can install Bitwarden in that VM. If you want to install Bitwarden on your main desktop, your laptop, your cell phones, your iPads, your tablets, whatever you have, Bitwarden installs on all those things. So you always have your passwords there for you. And they have a new ability to be able to switch your account. So if you have a business account with Bitwarden and you have a consumer account with Bitwarden, you can easily switch between the two depending on what you're working on, which is a really cool feature. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started and you can get started for free. But you probably want to get that $10 premium account. You get a gigabyte encrypted file storage, YubiKey, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, Priority Customer Support, all of that for just a dollar per month. That's insane. And all of the inflation going on, everybody's raising their prices. Right now, you can still get Bitwarden for $10 a year, just $10 a year. One of the best applications out there. They support open source. They support this show. We want to thank them for sponsoring Destination Linux. Go check them out, bitwarden.com slash talks. So in our news this week, Jill, I saw these Twitter posts going Ooh. and I'm like, Michael, <laughs> look at this. It was cool because Michael was right beside me. So I could like <laughs> shove it in his face and stop him from doing yeah. whatever he was working on to look at what I thought was important at that moment. And the thing that I thought was really important at that moment was the fact that Carl Richel, who is the founder of CEO of System76, mentioned they had a partnership with HP. Mm. And... This was kind of weird for me. I'm like, okay, you guys have your own laptop line. You have your own desktop line. Yeah. But now you've got a partnership you're announcing with a new laptop named the HP Dev One. So System76 is kind of known for having some custom Clevos and things out there that mm -hmm. they sell. Yeah. But now they're selling an HP laptop. I don't know if they're selling it, but they partnered yeah, with HP. HP is right. yeah. going to sell it and they're going to put Pop! OS on it. So it's a yet another system. HP has some other systems in the business line that ran Linux, but not a lot. But this is another system we have that's for developers, obviously, that's going to run Pop! OS out of the box. It comes with an 8-core AMD Ryzen 7 Pro processor. So they went AMD. This makes me happy. Mm -hmm. 16 gigabytes of memory, DDR4 at 3200 megahertz, one terabyte of fast PCIe NVMe M2 storage. I was really happy to see that it's not like starting at 256 gigabytes. It's like one terabyte. Yeah. So happy for Same that. Same here. Uh, you get a 14-inch <laughs> diagonal FHD anti-glare display. So, you know, the PC market just can't get away from that 1920 by 1080. But anyways, AMD Radeon graphics as well, which is pretty cool. Jill, what did you think when you saw all of this news coming out? Well, I was really excited too. Um, I also saw Carl Wachell's tweet 
But first, I saw Jeremy Solers. He's the principal engineer at System76, and he tweeted on Friday afternoon. And in fact, both their tweets were released the same time. I didn't really find this announcement too unexpected, and there are some reasons why. Uh, when we interviewed Emma from System76 on Destination Linux episode number 270, she said that there were some cool, big things coming down the pipe. All right. And you know what? I just kind of, I thought, I wonder if they're going to partner with someone. I remember th- even thinking that. Um, that so we're going to add clairvoyant to Jill's list of skills. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, perfect. But I, I'd been thinking about that. And I'm like, I think they're going to branch out. So, you know, and I guess that really prepared me for the grandeur of the huge news. This makes sense because a lot of the other Linux distros are doing the same thing. They're creating partnerships with uh, yeah. OEMs. Well, I feel like it's, <laughs> it is unpredictable. It, it was unexpected for me. I think it's surprising because mm. distros making deals with various different manufacturers makes sense. Fedora's been doing that with the Slimbook company and also yeah. Lenovo, and Ubuntu's been doing it for a very long time. And even back in the day, Ubuntu was doing it with System76 for Unity and stuff. But with the thing that I think you have the surprising fa- factor that I do is they sell their own hardware. Yeah. Like yeah, if it was just true. a distro, yeah. sure. But you're selling your own, so you're competing with yourself with a partnership where you're also included in, it's kind of weird. But it is cool that they're competing with uh, themselves with HP. Yeah. Because this does look like a pretty cool laptop and the price looks totally reasonable. And mm-hmm. I think when you really think about it, like they were, it's not like they were manufacturing their own laptop line. In a way, right. there could be Clevos out there selling very similar machines True. to the ones that they're selling. I mean, they do some changes to it, especially with the BIOS and things like that. Yep. But it's still, they're not, they're not their own manufactured laptops. And I know they want to get there one day. I was very happy they chose HP. Uh, on my channel, I talk about the supply chain issues in tech and computers. HP is one of the companies that has the cleanest supply chain. I know a lot of people have had some bad experiences with HPs in the past. I saw them commenting, of course, on this, unfortunately, in Twitter and things like, I'll never buy an HP. I haven't used one in 14 years. Well, maybe you should read that sentence if you haven't used one in 14 years and take a look again, because you could say the same thing about Dell's and Lenovo and everything else. All of them have these bad runs of anything things. at all in tech. Yes, exactly. If you haven't used yeah. anything, you could even say five years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, HP's yeah. come a long way. And again, they have one of the cleanest supply chains out there and do a lot of work to keep their supply chain clean. And that's a very important thing that they do. I'm with you, Jill, though, this whole thing of the 1920 by 1080, because I saw in the notes you mentioned like, yeah, hey, why are we still dealing with the 1920? This is not a System76 or HP issue by itself, by the way. This is PCs, period. Like they want to compete with Apple so bad and they want to copy all the terrible things (laughs) Apple does. Like, let's solder our RAM, too. Let's solder our hard drive, too. (laughs) But they literally will not copy the thing of actually having a high resolution screen in every single machine. Like. That's the kind of stuff you steal. Let me help you out. You can hire me as a consultant to your business. Stop using 1920 by 1080. <laughs> yeah. Stop. And, it's dead. and the fact that the it's a good, Nothing really good price. You know, it's starting at uh, $1,099. Uh, but for that price, I have another laptop that has actually a 4K screen on it. <laughs> so exactly. I kind of expect that when I'm mm. play, paying 1000 or more for a laptop. Yeah, or at least 2K. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, as at least a, at least uh, fourteen forty, you know. 
That would be nice. <laughs> and this is geared towards developers. So they have a lot of the specs right. But I'll tell you, one of the things that is rumored yeah. out there, I haven't confirmed it, is that this comes with 16 gigabytes of memory and it's soldered. And a lot mm -hmm. of developers need more than 16 gigabytes of memory, depending on the development of the work. They need 32, they need 64. In fact, a lot of developers were commenting, hey, is there a way to get more? This is the soldered memory thing. Again, the, the stupid things we do copy from Mac and not the good things. Yeah. This this would be something I want to see fixed. It is a decent price. I was surprised because System76 is, they got a very high kind of upcharge on a lot of their models. Mm -hmm. And 1099 is closer to that 999 we were talking to Emma about. So I am excited they got it down to that price and it's good specs. But those yeah. are kind of the things I think to perfect it. Let's not solder everything together and let's have a better screen. That would be my two S. You know what? I just realized another great thing about this partnership is maybe this will allow System76 to more easily put out laptops that are under $1,000. Like they could come 100%. out with a, yeah. a mid-range mid $500 to $600 HP with uh, Pop! OS on it. I hope this is the beginning of something cool where we could get the passion of System76. I know a lot of the people that work there are as passionate about things like soldering stuff and repairability and upgradability that I am and kind of help HP create this new line that just kicks butt. Yeah. So this is kind of the first one awesome. and it's good. And this is a cool machine, but I'd like to see some other stuff that comes out from this partnership in the future. It'd be really cool to see kind of like them take the place of Clevo. So you have HP laptops with the modifications and customizations and polish that system 76 can provide. Yeah. That'd be very yeah. cool. Oh, awesome. All right, Jill. Well, we will wait to see how this laptop sells in the market. But until then, tell us about ways that we can scare ourselves to death in gaming. <laughs> what a transition. Oh, boy. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we just uh, changed the mood there. <laughs> did very I, much. Did I go yeah. back to the Doomsday episode again? It wasn't really in Doomsday. I wouldn't say Doomsday, but it's close. So if you like PS1 style slasher horror games, then we actually have the perfect game for you to check out. It's called The Night of the Scissors. And I'm already it's scared. not a tutorial for how to hold scissors while walking. Rather, oh, it, it, should it be. follows a person named Adam as he tries to escape a serial killer. <laughs> The game actually Always takes fun. inspiration from VHS Slather, Slather, Slash. The game takes inspiration from VHS slasher movies from the 1980s. Nice. And experience once again the tank controls and the third party cinematic cameras formula that made the genre shine back in the PSX era. This is so cool. So, slasher. Survival horrors, I do enjoy playing in very small and short increments. They scare me. <laughs> I like the room. The One of my favorite features in this game was when I introduced you to the room with lots of scissors hanging from strings from the ceiling. Oh, no, was... not scissors. <laughs> the room of scissors. <laughs> really creepy. What is your character, a piece of thread? Is he scared <laughs> of scissors that much? Well, it's kind of ironic because a lot of times you'll see in games, you'll see uh, like people's heads hanging from string, <laughs> strings or their organs. <laughs> That's kind of a common theme. What kind of games are you so, playing, Jill? 
Right? I'm teasing. I've seen all of that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Just messing with you. (laughs) And one of my other favorite features is the cinematic glitch cameras. I think they're really done to perfection and have the look and feel of actually playing a VHS tape. It's got the the pixelated uh, lines that run across the screen. That's cool, yeah. And it reminds me a lot of the game Silent Hill. Yeah, that was a scary game. (laughs) Yes. I'm surprised you played that game. (laughs) Yeah. I played it and, and then immediately ahead, stopped. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Michael is actually a scare baby, Jill, like for video games. And I'm not even making this up. You know, a lot of times I make up stories about Michael, like weak thumbs and obsession yeah. with stools. And well, there's <laughs> pretty probably, much everything you say about me is usually a made up thing. It's usually made up or exaggerated. <laughs> but this is not. This one is, tr- I'm telling yeah. you, listen, audience, I'm finally telling you the truth on something. Finally. Like, Michael is scared. Of video games. I don't like horror games. I don't like horror movies. He's scared of like even Paw Patrol games and things like that. He's they scared. Did you him to see death. those puppies? Yeah. How are they alive? Wow. How are they talking? No, they're talking to us. Okay, this is not right. <laughs> like that, see, no. that's exactly what he does. <laughs> now, Michael, one of the scariest games out there is Alien. Would you play that? Because that's a good combination of sci-fi and horror, like the original yeah. Alien movie. Well. <laughs> First person. I don't like horror games anyway at all, yeah. like in general. <laughs> but I guess I would be like open to a stream where I played a horror game. That would be fun. We turn the lights out and then you got to do it here yeah. though so I can like randomly throw crap at you and stuff to scare you. That would be <laughs> we could do traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. Tra- I don't want to do that part. I don't want to do that part. But I remember <laughs> it. Like we were talking about the old style, the PS1 yeah. era with that stuff. It reminded yeah. me of a game that I did play when I was like, 10 or 11 or something it was don't do that uh it was a resident evil oh, oh yes That's and good. now i went back to watch what it looks like <laughs> it's not remotely scary anymore yeah the graphics do not age well in a lot of these games yeah. <laughs> but at the time i was freaked out and uh yeah i don't like horror games but oh i'm not that afraid of scissors <laughs> yeah to begin with <laughs> Well, the great thing is, I was just thinking, because this is styled in that VHS manner, it'd look really good on any 1920 by 1080 monitors. Perfect. Yeah, because those are old and outdated, too, so it kind of flow together. Uh, didn't work that in on purpose there. So, Jill, you typically <laughs> yeah. don't play these type of games, <laughs> and I didn't know that, So, but I, I picked this game, and then you had to go play a scary game, but you have played... <laughs> Silent Hill before, so I was thinking, how would you rate this on the Jill's scare scale with Silent Hill being a 10 in scariness and Citrus Rampage we covered a week ago being a 1? And then ranked at number 15 would be Kirby's Dreamland. Yes. Uh (laughs) Where would you rate this game, the Night of the Scissors, Jill? 6.5 to 7. That's pretty scary. I think the Night of the Scissors was a was a good fun game. <laughs> it, it really is. So you give it six point five Michael squeals. Yes, <laughs> I would be squealing at that. Yeah, yes. nice. And it's only two ninety nine on Steam. You know, that's a good one. Go out and grab it for a few bucks. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> Very cool. So up next in the show, we have the software spotlight, and we got a feedback from the community giving us a suggestion of what it could be from Andy. And this is about YubiKey Authenticator. It says, hello, Destination Linux crew. I've heard all of you talk about the YubiKey and about 2FA apps, like with our beloved Bitwarden, but I've not heard anyone reference the YubiCo Authenticator. 
And the YubiKey Authenticator is a temporary one-time password app that stores your provisioning codes on the YubiKey. Every time you open the app, it is blank. When you insert your YubiKey, it'll prompt you for a password if you configure one, and then it will populate all of your OTP profiles in the app. When you click on a profile to get a code, it'll ask you to tap the YubiKey for verification and then display the six-digit temporary one-time password code, or TOTP. If the app is open when you remove your YubiKey from your device, the profiles will all disappear from the app and the app is blank again. This not only ties in added security using the YubiKey, but it also allows your TOTP profiles to be portable between devices. Since your provisioning codes and are stored on the YubiKey and not in the app itself, you can use the same profiles on all of your devices and the YubiCo Authenticator is available for Linux as either a snap or an app image and it's also available on Mac, Android, iOS, and something about win Windows or Doors. Or Gross. if you yeah, if you haven't checked it out yet, it's definitely worth a try. He says, "I've been using it since January on Linux and Android, and haven't had a single problem yet." So he thinks it's amazing, and I think that it's something to check out. I haven't used it myself, but didn't you, don't you try use it out? keys like I do? Yeah, I have checked out Yubico yeah. mm -hmm. Authenticator. It's a very cool app. It's a great way of adding additional security. Listen, we love Bitwarden around here, and I suggest that the convenience of having your one-time passwords and things in there, for certain sites, you're not worried about having all your information in one, because we're already giving Bitwarden a ton of protection, and they deserve it because they do all the encryption and everything, client-side and stuff, with our passwords. But let's say, because nothing is foolproof, that somebody got your into your passwords with Bitwarden. Maybe it was a relative or somebody that happens to know your master password. Well, if you have one-time authentication available, but you also put that in your Bitwarden app, that one-time access they have now allows them to get into things like banking or other stuff where you have those TOTP authentications in. Yeah. Last time we talked about it, I referred to it as this particular phrase and you laughed at it, but I'm just going to embrace it. You don't want to leave, put all your biscuits in one basket. Biscuits in a basket. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Man, that's Southern. All right. So... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in the using out the dough. Jill, please don't encourage him. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> having a second one-time password tool like YubiKey Authenticator, Aegis, something like that is an awesome one. And I like anything with YubiKey. When I set up a new system, I use my YubiKey. I literally plug it in. And when I need to get into accounts and everyone that pops up because I'm re-signing in to all these different sites and things, I just click on it and boom, it sends my one-time authentication right to my system. Being able to use it with your phone too is amazing. So Andy, thank you for sending in the suggestion. It's an awesome one. And now we have talked about it. So combine the YubiKey, get that premium account of Bitwarden which is awesome because you want the YubiKey. You combine those two together, you kind of got a much better security policy out there, which leads us into our tip of the week. So we were talking about hardware earlier. And one of the things that I've noticed happen in the community and the developers and everyone who supports Linux do such an amazing job for the most part with this, but they'll go buy a system, let's say a laptop or a new component or an audio piece of equipment, and then they go and do their research or then they plug it in and realize it doesn't work in Linux. Mm -hmm. And then they go onto the forums of a particular distro or whatever, and they go, hey, this thing's not working. And generally, the developers in the community will try to find a way to make that work. And that's what's amazing about Linux. But when you look at the Mac community, for instance, they treat it a little bit differently than, hey, this distro doesn't support this piece of hardware. 
they going into the Mac community kind of understand the fact that you're not going to be able to just go everywhere, grab a thing off the shelf and have it work with Mac. You're not going to be able to go buy the Dell and say, I want to install Mac OS on it, right? You're not going to be able to just go into a store and pick up any mixer because the software might not support Mac OS on it, especially with the new ARM things that's come back around again. Not everything supports it. So they kind of do the research ahead of time to say, does this thing support it? Which I think is a better way of going about this problem than we see of just going into a store or Best Buy, picking up a random laptop, coming home, trying to install Ubuntu or Fedora on it and going, hey, this doesn't support this thing I randomly grabbed off the shelf and didn't do any research on. And it's amazing at Linux, for the most part, we don't see this as much often. This is We've come so far. Very impressive. HP, Dell, Lenovo, yeah. everybody having Linux versions. But I think it's good for all the new Linux people listening to like treat it like Apple people treat Apple, where do your research ahead of time, and then you won't have that frustration of buying that piece of hardware, getting it home, and realizing, hey, this thing doesn't work with Linux, because it's not Linux's fault. The manufacturers just haven't enabled it uh, or worked with Linux in any way. But there are so many options now that you don't have to run into that problem. Like You don't have to deal with it. There are, in every category of hardware, versions or hardware manufacturers that are supporting Linux or have support in Linux. And so if you just do your research a little bit ahead of time, then you won't run into that frustration. So that's the tip of the week. Yep. There's also some companies that aren't even thinking about, they're just using the universal protocols, which then makes it work in Linux. And then if you don't mm-hmm. know which, if they're doing that or not, you might get something that just doesn't support it for no reason at all. You're so right. that's a fantastic tip. And for our announcements, of course, Durhans makes his appearance back on our show for the announcement (laughs) section. And the conferences, we have OpenSUSE Conference June 2nd through the 4th, um, Open Source Summit, North America, in-person or virtual, in Austin, Texas, June 21st through the 24th, Scale, which Michael, myself, and Jill will be at. And I think we're getting Brandon there, potentially, maybe too. So there's going to be a bunch of people showing up. You want to be at scale. If you're going to pick one event this year, go to scale. In person and virtual July 28th through 31st, Michael, myself, and Jill will be there in person to hang out with all of you. The 25th, Guadec. 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 Yeah. The Guadec (laughs) Center where you go swimming. No, it's the known community <laughs> in Guadalajara, Mexico. I just, I'm going to say it really fast. So it sounds like I know Guadalajara, Mexico. MX. Guadalajara. Yeah, that one. July 20th through the 25th <laughs> with an online component and Nest with Fedora, August 4th through the 6th. Um, and they have a call right now for proposals and sponsors for the Nest with Fedora, which we talked about with Matthew Miller. So go check yeah. that one out, August 4th through the 6th. So we're going to do like a live stream of me playing a horror game. We're going to do a live stream of you reading off all the names of these various different projects. That actually (laughs) scares me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The the horror games do not scare me at all, but that would scare me trying to read these weird names here. All right. A big (laughs) thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it, we love your faces. And we're here each week. Sunday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern, or if Michael randomly comes over, 1.30, 1.34, we kick off. But we're still live. We're just getting <laughs> things set up with little technical it hitches. It took some extra such. effort because we had to create a new thing with us both being on the same camera, which is awesome, and mm. also kind of annoying to work with because we had bit, to figure it out. Bit. Some sol- It was fun to find the solution. Yeah. I liked yeah. it, though. Yeah. 
And Michael got to see that after all the years of doing this show and him talking about all the customization he does, he comes to my home, he turns on my machine and notices it's KDE Fedora default, everything. everything. So it was perfect. <laughs> I've changed nothing. Nothing. And it's funny because I don't even know remember what, what the first thing happened. When I first got into this room and you were doing something, I said, why is it doing that? He's like, I don't know, it's the default. Like, oh, yeah, you're the default guy. I forgot for yeah. a second. Let's fix this. <laughs> Change nothing. <laughs> every time I've gotten on his computer this trip, which is not that many times, but every single time I have changed one of your settings. I like to leave the distros the way God made them. Like, I ain't changing yeah. nothing. You know, it's the way yeah. they made them is the way they're supposed to be used. So that's what I stick with. Well, Plasma is one of the examples where they made it to be changed. So I trust him. <laughs> oh, I'm just happy to see Michael and Ryan together in the same room. There have been times where Michael's gone over to Ryan's, but they were broadcasting from separate rooms. And yeah. it's just nice to have you guys together. And I can't wait to be a third person together with you next year when we do this. Yes. <laughs> <that'd be awesome. laughs> yeah. Yep. We also have our glorious patrons which get perks like unedited versions of the show, and they also get to join us in the patron-only post-show, which happens every week right after the show in our 60,000-square-foot virtual stadium. This big. That big, plus also 60,000-square-foot virtual pixels of yeah, even lot. voxels now. We're using voxels. <laughs> Not in 1920 by 1080. No, with yeah. 56K. There you go. Whatever that is. It's a combination of... How slow the speed was in that era of the game thing. Oh, 56. Okay. the, yeah, the amount right. of... Continue. Ooh. I liked it. It was hey, a good deck a joke big, to me. We could be a big projection on a huge screen in a stadium. It's everybody's dream. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so go right now to the the store. You can go to tuxdigital.com, click on store. You can get all sorts of great stuff. You can get the, the Linux 91 stuff that <laughs> Ryan is rocking. Now you can't get this particular shirt I'm wearing. This is the DOS OG. Geek. This is yeah, an original, right? OG. <laughs> but we do have some DOS Geek shirts that you can check out there. And also I was wearing this shirt to kind of do like an impression of Ryan, but there was one thing I forgot. So let's fix that. Oh. That's what there, I'm talking about. Absolutely. Hundred percent. That's yes. a good impression <laughs> of me right there. Thank you. Thank you. you know, I forgot I made this rule that you were not allowed to come into this room unless you were wearing the arch hat. And I forgot my own stupid rule and allowed you in here. But now arch? Yeah. I don't even remember you saying that. I used yeah. arch? Wow. Yeah. You did say that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you're not allowed in this room unless you're well, wearing the arch hat. Well, now I feel like now I feel like I made a mistake <laughs> by Man, putting this hat good. on. You look good. You look good now. Like that fits you. You should think about switching everything now. Actually, arch. yeah, he looks nice in a hat. Right. <laughs> Especially. <laughs> hey, we all hat. have hats today. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so make sure to also to check out all our wonderful shows here on Tux Digital. We have This Week in Linux, the Pseudo Show, the DOS Geek Channel. Linux Out Loud, GameSphere, Hardware Addicts, and Linux Saloon. And everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these wonderful shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as a destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>